I like how you said, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, and then just went on to describe every single attribute of an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I'm not, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, but I did quit my job, sell my house, dump my girlfriend, and then go (laughs) off into the wild to figure out what the next business was going to be. So yeah, Yeah. you're pretty corporate. Like you should probably (laughs) go do taxes instead. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. All right. The man, the myth, the berg. What is up, <laughs> brother? How are you? I'm great, Brian. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. Follow your Twitter account. And this is how this started. So I recommend that every single person goes and follows you. You're at Chris Berg Tweets, correct? Yeah, it's easier if you want to just search for the car wash guy on Twitter. That'll probably come up. I've got, it's my head and a big yellow background. Yeah, man, that's the bath checks out. It's the one-two punch. So who is Chris Berg? And walk us through your entrepreneurial journey here. Because you said, hey, let's start with that. It'll take about five, 10 minutes. And then we can branch off into the many wonderful topics that you and I just discussed. Yeah, because I don't follow what a lot of people think is the typical entrepreneurial journey. I see over and over again, people say, I was born an entrepreneur. I started selling stuff to my third grade class or whatever. That was not me at all. I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. My uh, parents were both just lifetime employees. And so uh, when I was about 27, which is over 20 years ago now, I found I was in corporate America. I was working for this big construction company and I just hated my life. I I was working way too much. I was way too stressed out. And it was just, it was really just the worst time of my life, to be frank. So all in one day, quit my job, dumped my girlfriend, threw everything I had in a truck and moved back to my hometown in Colorado. And the only guy that could take me in was an old college roommate who had just bought a lube shop, a Valvoline lube shop. And he had no background in that. He was like a tech worker before that. And so I just watched him. He had an SBA loan and I watched him and he was having fun. He was making money and he was his own boss. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that because I'm, I was unemployable at that point. I was so disgruntled with corporate America. I was like, I don't ever really want to have a job again. So I went out and bought an excavation company with an SBA loan. It was a whopping $180,000 purchase, which was a lot of money in 2003 for me. Yeah. And I put about 50000 into it, got the SBA to fund the rest. And I blew that company up from 180 k revenue to $2.6 in revenue in four years, but almost killed myself doing it. I had bought myself a really intense job. And I was working probably 60 to 70 hours a week at least. My phone would start ringing at 6 a.m. and it wouldn't stop ringing until 7 p.m just super stressful. And so I met my soon-to-be wife at the time. She really showed me how miserable I was with that. And so, all, again, <laughs> impetuous guy, I guess I sold everything, sold my the house I was living in, sold the company that I had owned, and all in about a four-month period. And we moved off the grid up into the mountains of Colorado. And at that point, I thought I'd 
build houses for a living. And that was 2007. And I don't know if you remember 2007, but that was probably the worst time in history to try to build houses. Oops. I, I didn't know what to do. I had a little bit of a nest egg, but it was dwindling and I was in the middle of nowhere. And so I picked up a book called Four Hour Work Week, and that really changed my life. It showed me how you could do what you're doing and run a business from anywhere. And that's what I needed at that time because there were no opportunities, especially in real estate and construction. So I bought a website that was it was selling solar kits and we were living in a solar and wind powered home. And so that took off because I was walking the walk. I was living a solar lifestyle and I was selling solar kits. And that led my foray into online businesses. And so now, 13 years later, I have four or five online businesses. Those generate cash flow. I pour that cash flow into hard assets, commercial real estate, specifically car washes. And those shelter almost my entire income from the other businesses. I paid no taxes last year and hope to again this year and make a very nice living. So that's the, the short version of it. I like how you said, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, and then just went on to describe every single attribute of an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm not, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, but I did quit my job, sell my house, dump my girlfriend, and then go off into the wild to figure out what the next business was going to be. So yeah, yeah. Dude, you're pretty corporate. Like you should yeah. probably go do taxes instead. Um, <laughs> no, nah, man, that's a wonderful story. There's so many different directions we can take this place that I want to start with. And we really will dive into the car washes. Talk about problems, man, because you've had experience. You've got, you've had experience. You've got these online companies, which we'll get into the car washes, the excavation company that you took up to 2.6 million top line, which means you probably had a team of what, like 10 to 30 under you. Yeah, the 25 guys. Cool. That was cool. Yeah, no, big Hey, 10 <laughs> points to Gryffindor, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so talk about your relationship with problems because you brought this up to me and I found that to be really interesting. So when I had that first company and really my whole life up to that point, I, I would always let problems and obstacles really just get me down. And that would cause depression and stress and all these things. And it took me a good 20 years in entrepreneurship to realize that that businesses aren't a part of, or I'm sorry, problems aren't a part of your business. Um, problems are your business. You, your business is there to, first of all, solve your customers' problems. And then in order to do that, you've got to solve your own. And once you can internalize that and realize that every day there will be problems, sometimes they will be big, sometimes they will be small, and that your only job is to solve them, then you can really switch your mindset and you can get excited about problems. Now I have seven portfolio companies and I love it when somebody escalates a problem to me, when it's a really sticky, icky problem. I love it because the bigger the problem, it's really the bigger the opportunity. It sounds like a cliche, but it's completely true. Every time I've faced a very serious, big obstacle, one of those existential crises where you're like, I don't know that we'll be in business after this. My business was better afterwards. Not only did my business continue to run, but it got better. Uh, an example is in probably like 2010, I had this solar business that was based 100% online and 100% of our traffic was based on Google rankings. And Google did an update 
And lo and behold, I got crushed. I, I went from having, I don't even remember what the traffic count was, but I literally lost 94% of my traffic overnight. And I remember laying on the couch for three days and, and crying and drinking vodka. And my wife was like, what is going on with you? What, how are we going to get out of this? So I figured out how I figured out email marketing. I figured out this was in early days of Facebook. I figured out Facebook marketing. I figured out Google marketing. And eventually our rankings came back, but then I had all these other traffic sources and my, I had this much more robust, much healthier business. And so after that, I realized number one, I'm a survivor. Maybe that's an entrepreneurial uh, trait. And number two, I would just figure stuff out. And so once you have those two traits, you can really get through any problem. And I, I know people who have faced the ultimate problems of bankruptcy and things like that, and they've come out better from those things too. So that's a mind shift that I try to teach all young entrepreneurs, that if you can do that, your life is just a lot happier for one, and you will be a better problem solver in the end. I love that, man. <clears throat> I feel like entrepreneurship is just how good are you at taking punches to the face? Yeah. <laughs> like, how strong is your jaw? There's a quote that I heard recently that I really liked, and it's from the Silicon Valley world. And it's... Yeah. Pessimists get to be right. Optimists get to be rich. And it yeah. says, the pessimist finds the disaster in every opportunity and the optimist finds the opportunity in every disaster. And it's I was thinking about right. that as you were saying that. Was there a specific catalyst that allowed you or was there like a, a book you read, a quote you heard, or was it a negative breaking point where you were just like, I got to change this shit. Otherwise, this is going to kill me. I need to change my relationship with problems. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think it's 20 years of getting punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, you just build up some scars and you realize. My nose was broken. Yeah, my <laughs> nose was broken and it healed. And you realize, hey, I'm still here. I'm still doing this. And all these problems led to really great outcomes. And so it was honestly, it's just experience. So I'm just hoping that me teaching this to younger generations, younger entrepreneurs, or even just inexperienced entrepreneurs will just show you like, you're going to make it, you're going to be fine, but you just got to keep working. You've got to figure out how to solve these problems. And if you can shift your mindset on how to do it, it gets much easier and it actually becomes fun too. Mm -hmm. Alex Ramosi has a quote that says, you can't lose if you don't quit. I really like that one too. Yeah. Here's a really niche specific question that I think yeah. only people that own a business or have tried to start a business would understand. When things are going right, how do you enjoy that without being nervous? So that's a great question. And it had really experience has taught me there too, because once you get punched in the face a bunch, you expect it. Yeah, you're expecting it. But when it stops happening, you realize I'm really happy my face doesn't hurt right now. And so you you learn to enjoy the small wins. There's a great concept from Dan Sullivan, which is the gap in the game. Love and it. as entrepreneurs and people in general, you're constantly looking at the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And in order to have a positive outlook and be happy doing what we do, you've got to look behind you and see the gains that you've made. Look back. And it helps to like even go through your email inbox or if you have like planners, like day schedulers, go through your calendar and look where you were a year ago. Look where you were two years ago and realize, man, we were really 
I was really dumb back then. I didn't know what I was doing. And here I am, or geez, my business was really small. I only had one person. Now we have 12 or, or whatever it is. Our revenue is this, whatever. It really helps look back on where you came from. And so now I absolutely celebrate those little wins. I love it when the face punching stops. And it just, it, it helps to, for me, it's about being present too. And another cliche is the meditation, the mindfulness is something I've really come to be a big proponent of is being present, not worrying too much about the future, certainly not worrying about the past and just enjoying right now where we are right now. Because there's many times I look back on my businesses and think, man, those early days when I thought was so painful when I was so stressed out about it, those were the great, those were the best times mm-hmm. we were scrappy. We almost had nothing in the bank, but we were figuring it out. And those in some ways are, were the best times of my life because I just, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have experience. I didn't have all these things that I have. I certainly didn't have a big bank account and I was just figuring it out. And those were some of the best times. So that kind of trains you to realize, okay, if I thought, if I think that now about then, what am I going to think about now? In the future, am yeah. I going to look back at this moment right now and say, God, that was the greatest time I had. I still didn't know what I was doing. I was still dumb as hell. But man, I was figuring out you, you can shift your perspective in a big way. Yeah, my my business coach. So I've been on both sides of the camp, man. I found both sides of the fence where I was doing things solo dolo. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, now I'm on the complete opposite. Everything is community. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm trying to figure out how to do something, I'm just like, OK, who has done the thing? And I just yeah. love that person. And it's yeah. easier, much easier now that I've got the podcast built up and everything. Because awesome. now I can go direct to that person. Like, So we've had some really awesome business people in here like Walker Dival, John Warlow, Built to Sell, mm-hmm. Buy and Build. And I could go direct to Source, right? So yeah. my business coach, what, the reason I asked that was it's something that I struggle with a lot and a lot of people struggle with and they don't talk about it. Because my coach had a really good phrase that he teaches to me. And he said, the problems you have today are what you prayed for five years ago. Yeah. And I was just like, man, and it's not even when you're getting punched in the face that it's difficult. It's when you're not. And then you're still in fight or flight mode. And you're still like looking over your shoulder and things are going, the team's humming. This is, things are too quiet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah what's coming <laughs> you're waiting for the yeah. shoe to drop you're waiting for the punch yeah i so one thing that i think is critical for everybody especially entrepreneurs is being able to shut it off a little bit when uh, you're a young entrepreneur or when you're just starting out it's easy to let the business consume you think about mm-hmm. it nonstop, and you're thinking about it when your wife is talking to you your, your husband is talking to you you're thinking about where your kids are pulling it you're thinking about it on a flight to norway you're thinking about it all the time and one thing I think is imperative is you've got to be able to shut it down. And so a simple little mindfulness routine, it can be the Calm app, or it can be just something that centers you at the end of the day, and then shut things down. Don't keep checking your phone all evening. Don't open up these loops. Like I, I used to, between 4 and 5 p.m., I would open up all these loops. I'd shoot off a million emails saying, how's this project? What are you guys doing here? How can we get this going? At the end of the day, and then for the rest of the evening, I'm, I'm looking for answers, right? I'm looking, do they respond? Respond. Now I do all those emails first thing in the morning. They're generally answered. 
by the end of the day. And then I just let things lie in the afternoon. I don't want to open up a bunch of loops. I don't want to fire off emails because that pushed pressure on your people and your partners too to work in the evenings and have the, their work consume them, right? Because they're getting the notifications and all this stuff. So I turn off all notifications on my phone. I try to be as present as possible for my family. I still think about work. There's no question. I can't turn it off sure. completely. But you've got to find a way. The other way I do that, and I think so many people lose sight of this, is you've got to have something that's just for you that is truly fun. We all work out. Yeah. We all have that routine like, oh, I go to the gym and just get out my anger. That's great. But I, for me, mountain biking and snowboarding are huge. It's something that I do and I have to be locked in, right? I know a lot of entrepreneurs that like race cars or they fly planes. They do something where you have to focus on what you're doing right now. Brazilian jujitsu is what I've yeah. been seeing. Yeah, jujitsu because you can't think about anything rate. else. Because it has to consume your mind. You have to focus in on it. And this provides you an outlet. And if it's something that's really fun and makes the little seven-year-old in you go, yeah, let's do that again. That's even better because you're rewarding yourself. It's true joy, right? So many people play that joy, right? They push it out. Once I get a million dollars in the bank account, once we do 10 million in top line, once we do this, then no, you can't do that. You're going to burn yourself out. You've got to do those little celebrations. You've got to have something fun that you can do on a regular basis. Yeah. It all comes down to gratitude. And what I keep, my ethos that I keep trying to hammer home is I'm like, okay, build the business around your life, not your life around your business. And yeah. so even with this podcast, like I had messaged you and said, hey, can we push this back 30 minutes originally? Yeah. But then we were able to do this on time. And the reason yeah. I did that was because I'm in Norway and the sun was setting and there's this like mountain that's right behind me. And I really wanted yeah. to go climb the mountain and see the sunset. And I was just like, no, I can't push the podcast. And I was like, no, dude, it's a podcast. Yeah, Go climb the mountain. This is the last time you're going to be in this city, maybe in your life. Yeah, I got a wonderful sunset. And now afterwards, I just happen to be able to come back down. It's just little moments like that are the wind. It's all the little mini gratitudes that are the the answer, man. So let's navigate a little bit towards the profits, man. Speaking of profit, profits yield the passion. And you've got some ideas about passion. And I want to hit on these, man, because I'm spot on with you. What do you think about passion? Yeah, I, I hear so much follow your passion and things like that. I think it's over. I think it's misunderstood. I am passionate about build, starting and building businesses now. I love the start. I love starting from zero and then building it and growing it and then handing off that day to day stuff to other people. The reason I'm successful with it now is because I'm, I can choose businesses where there's fantastic opportunities. But if I chose things that I was passionate about, let's say mountain biking. There are 50 mountain bike shops where I live, right? If (laughs) I was just another mountain bike shop, I wouldn't have the income. I know I lived in Denver for a while. I counted one time. There were literally 75 mountain bike shops in the Denver metro area. And when you went into them, you could all tell they were struggling. The owner was grumpy and he was rude to people. And there just wasn't a lot going on because there's so many. All those guys had followed the advice, follow your passion. It's the same reason there's a million little dress boutiques and little flower shops and little cake shops, cupcake shops, right? They're all struggling because somebody told them to follow their passion. 
Whereas if they had found a niche that is lucrative and still fun, but they just, they enjoy business and they enjoy entrepreneurship and they can apply that to this niche. That's where the real money comes from. Okay. You guys like Nick Huber and everything. He's not passionate about self-storage. I don't really know anybody who could say, oh, I love self-storage. They <laughs> applied their business acumen to a great opportunity. And guess what? When you do that and you start making real money, you start building real wealth, you will become very passionate about that. You will suddenly, you will be like, hell yes, self-storage. Hell yes, car washes. I freaking love this business because it's giving me this lifestyle that I love. And oh, by the way, I can express my passion on the weekends and on Friday afternoon and then Tuesday evening. I get to mountain bike all I want because I've, I've applied my energy to this particular niche. Man, I think you're spot on. I think people have it in the wrong order. They yeah. and then in it's funny, the people that tell you to chase your passions are all the people that are working a job they hate. Yes. yes. So or, it's like yes. Yeah. You know, we talk about passionate income. And I'm living mine right now, but it's just I lived in the basement of my own rental properties for four years. Right. So it's just you have to get the profit and get the cash flow to earn the right to be able to go do the stuff. So it's, I, I agree with you, but I'm like, if you want to, if you freaking love mountain bikes and you want to go yeah. start the mountain bike sh shop, cool. Go buy you some multifamily or some commercial properties. Go get you a couple yeah. cash flow and businesses that support you financially so that you could take a gamble on this and not have to worry about money. Because otherwise yeah. you're just going to destroy your love for the thing because right. you're struggling in the business of it. That's the point that most people miss is there's no faster way to ruin a passion than to go into business with it and not make money with it and struggle with it for years and realize, oh my God, if I see another cupcake, I am going to, I'm losing <laughs> my wrist or another mountain bike. If I have to change another tire on a mountain bike, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. That's a great way. The, the reality is, is that most people aren't really passionate about anything. Maybe it may be their wife or their kids or their husband or something. Most people don't have a huge passion, right? They're just, they like this. They like that. Maybe they're passionate about, I don't know, Game of Thrones or something, but they don't have a passion that really applies to anything you can make money on anyway. They need to find something they have an affinity for. They like this thing. They like this industry. And oh, by the way, it's growing and it has, it's a great opportunity. And this opportunity is right here. I'm going to chase that. And I'm going to be passionate about this thing that I build overall. The what doesn't matter as much as the how, the who, and the when. Mm -hmm. And the where. Like, why, the where. What, the hell you, what the hell are you doing it for? <laughs> like, yeah. nobody, nobody answers that question because they don't have this. They don't have the finish line defined. So they never right. feel like they've arrived at the finish line of the race because you never right. actually determined where you're running towards. That's right. Um, Man, yeah, I love every I love everything you're saying there, and it just applies over and over again. You're telling yeah. me that you're not passionate about car washes? <laughs> That's crazy, man. man. I just grew up. I grew up in a car wash. I was born in a car wash. I and it, I got hosed off when I came out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had they hung one of the little sentries off of off. Of yeah, the man. Came out, man. Yeah, but, my uh, first. I had a little onesie. So yeah. No, so, man. I. Yeah, we can get into that because I did not. If you had told me two years ago, I'd be the car wash guy. I would have laughed at you. So let's talk about it, man, because right now yeah. we're in an interesting point in the economy. We're in the interesting point in a market. 
right now yeah. where real estate, we just hit 8% for residential real estate rates. Cap rates are yep. going crazy. I am all in on business building and business buying in the next five to 20 years. Like I think this yeah. is the wave. And man, yeah. car washes keep popping up over and over again. So now is yeah. the point in the show where I really want to dive super niche specific. Let's talk cash flow. Let's talk profit. Let's talk commercial real yeah. estate, baby. So yeah. where do you want to start with the car washes? How let's did you even get introduced to these? Yeah. So let's start there. So ironically, we were just talking about self-storage. I, a buddy of mine here in town, our wives are best friends. So we're always hanging out on the weekend. Our kids are best friends. And so him and I were talking about, we, he has a business and then I have these other businesses. And we were talking about, we, we wanted a side gig where we could, you could invest your money. It's a fun little, it's almost like a hobby that makes money, right? Sure. And so we started talking about self-storage and I was active on Twitter and all these guys were laying out the entire blueprint. I thought we could just copy them. They're not any smarter than us. So we pursued that for a while. We started an LLC and we said, let's go find a storage uh, unit to buy. And we wrote 50 letters. I think I made like 20 cold calls and we couldn't find a single person that wanted to sell their self-storage unit. And the one guy who did wanted so much money was absurd. Like it, it didn't make any sense at all. But in the process of doing that, we were talking to a lot of real estate agents and this one commercial real estate agent says, I got this car wash. I think you should look at it. At the time, I didn't really understand how they work. I didn't know anything about them. And so when I, he, I blew him off, but the self-storage thing just completely fizzled out. And I reached out to him and I was like, okay, tell me about this car wash. And we went out there and I realized, wow, this is a really nice little business. It had people in place that really did the day-to-day. The owners weren't involved really at all. It was the perfect kind of side gig for me and my partner. And it made nice money. And so it was making about 65000 in net operating income, which is the same as EBITDA. If you're familiar with that term, it's basically profit before your debt, before you pay off your debt. He was making about 65K and car washes now trade anywhere from eight for an eight cap to about a 12 cap. We paid about a 10 cap for this place, which means we paid 10, uh, 10 times the earnings. So we paid about 650,000, but there was a bunch Ooh, of low- God dang, 10 times earnings, 10 times earnings. So I, I did the same thing you did. When I first got into commercial real estate, I was like, 10 times? What? You're high. Well, like, what are you talking about? When you're used, you come from small business world where everything's like a two times earnings, a three times earnings, or even maybe a four times Correct. earnings. And like somebody that's maybe three to five. Like exactly. SDE. Yeah. And somebody tells you 10, you're like, are you high? What? Who pays that? I, and that's what I told the, that real estate agent when he first brought it to me. I was like, I don't get this. I was, I thought, you paid for the real estate and then you pay for the business and the business ought to be three times and the real estate ought to be just whatever the real estate's worth. Like two different transi- tra- two different transactions, right? Because this is going to be a question I asked you, like, how does it work with the real estate and the So business? it's all tied together. Got it. Car washes are treated like commercial real estate where it's worth what profit it produces. And that's where the cap rate comes in. And that cap rate being at about 10% means that people pay uh, 10 times for the real estate and the business. It's all tied together. It's one transaction. And so the bankers consider it commercial real estate and the uh, appraisers consider it, and that's how they value it. Okay. So once you realize that, oh my God, 10 times earnings, 
that works for you and against you. You can pay that, but you can also sell it for that. And every time you add a dollar in profit, you just add $10 to the value. Once you so make that reframe. So, yeah, once you make that mental f- switch, it's, oh, I know how to grow profit. And so we approached this car wash. It was not on Google Maps. They had did zero advertising. They hadn't raised the prices in so long that the manager didn't know how to do it. He hadn't been in the system. He had no idea how to raise the prices, which was great because he was there for 12 years. They hadn't raised the prices in at least 12 years. And they just ignored it. The owners had just ignored it. It was the classic neglected property. Weedy and, and they hadn't put any money into it. So first thing we did, we get a loan. We get a commercial real estate loan. We put 25% down. So we put about was, we put about 150 into it. So it was a little more than 25%, I think. Okay. Day one, we get it on Google Maps. That took a week or so. But day one, we raised the price. We knew, we went around and we figured out what everybody was charging in town. We raised the price right to that. That instantly added 20% in profit, which means we've added that much, of course, in the value too. Mm-hmm. Then we got it on Google Maps, got a bunch of four-star ratings. The long and short of it is that in that, we just did that, that was April of 2022. That was my first car wash buy. Since then, the net operating income on that place has risen 70%, okay? Which means the value has gone up 70%. Then we bought another car wash and did the same thing. We've raised the net operating income 20% at that place. And after we get up, done some updates, uh, we'll get another 50% out of this place. So that was fun and cool and relatively simple. It only took about five hours a week. Started doing that. And then the real benefit hit. I was, so every December, right after Christmas, about December 27th, I email my accountant and I say, what's the damage? What am I going to owe for taxes this year? And it's usually a very painful number. My businesses do well. And this past December, I emailed her and she wrote right back and says, you're going to, you're not going to owe anything. In fact, you're going to get the money back from the quarterly payments that you've made throughout the year. And I did the, say what? (laughs) I picked up the phone. I called her right away. And I was like, this email says, I don't owe anything. Let's talk about that. How did that happen? And she said, these car washes have massive bonus depreciation deductions. And I knew a little bit about bonus depreciation because I had been active on Twitter, but I didn't, it really was never part of my calculation on the return. The return was great on these car washes well before that. I got a great return on my money before the tax benefits, but then it got really good. So what happens is it just so happens that I fell ass backwards into this complete luck, but the car wash is the perfect tax shelter. Okay. A rule was passed a few years ago called for bonus depreciation. It's meant to spur investment in equipment and buildings. And for whatever reason, um, the equipment and the building of the car wash pass this rule. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances to this rule, but anyway, the car washes in particular are perfect for this rule. So you can write off at the time you could write off 100% of everything at the car wash, but the dirt on the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. Everything but the lot could be bonus depreciated, which means when we bought two car washes, we had a $750,000 paper loss last year. Okay. So you're getting an individual cost seg study on each? 
We didn't even need that. It's so simple because really? yeah, you, you need a cost seg study on a complex property because a lot of times the building is depreciated this way. The equipment inside it is depreciated this way. And then the improvements on the grounds are depreciated this way. That's why most people get a cost seg. Car washes, everything is depreciated the same way, except for the lot itself, which is why this is so simple. And I kept asking my accountant, don't we need a cost seg? And she said, no, everything's, everything is eligible. So all you need to know is what the value of the lot is. Most brokers can tell you, yeah, if this car wash didn't exist and if it was just bare dirt, this lot would be worth this. Mm-hmm. Everything else, the value and everything else is bonus depreciable. So that meant we got to write off $750,000 last year. That completely nuked my tax bill. I was, I was about to owe $250,000 to the tax man. I had put in between the two deals, I had put in almost exactly $250,000 just com- coincidentally. So I got my money back by December 31st, because I didn't have to write it to the tax man. And I'm like, this is the best business model I've ever seen. Holy shit. Pardon my language, but damn, let's keep doing that. And that, so January, I, I finally realized like, oh, this is, this is the best thing we'd ever done. We'd raise the income on these places. My tax bill was gone. I was like, okay, more car washes. I'm the car wash guy. Change my handle on Twitter because as soon as I started talking about all this stuff, people are like, what? And so... I've really only been that guy for seven months. I'm not a car wash expert by any measure. <laughs> You're not but... that guy, pal. You're not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is I'm awesome. not that guy, but it's just taken off. It's a funny story, but so now I post about car washes and now I'm passionate about building this car wash business on the side and it's super fun. So how many do you own right now? We only own the two still. I've been trying to get another one on under contract all freaking year. I finally put a contract on one. Was it last Wednesday? Anyway, we've got another. We're hoping to close on the third one by the end of the year. Awesome, man. So let's walk through for somebody that's listening right now. We hear about laundromats and yeah. car washes. That's like the two. It's like the, the gateway drug in the small business acquisition. Right? Yeah. So yeah, these right. are the two things. Yeah. Right? So the first questions that people are going to have is A, how do you find a deal? And B, yeah. how do you fund the deal? So yeah. let's first go on to like how to find, because now you just said that you've been trying to find a new one all year. So when yeah. it comes to finding a, a car wash, is it more yeah. beneficial because there's so like few of them in comparison to laundromats and all these other businesses? Right. Is it more beneficial to just be searching out of your geographic area or build no. a new car wash or what? No, so you can find them. First of all, you can find them on crexi.com, C-R-E-X-I.com. Mm-hmm. I just found one this morning. I actually did a post today. This is October, whatever, October 26th. I did a post today on finding them on Crexy and I broke down a deal. If you check on my Twitter, this will have you'll release this in the future, but this will be put, my I'll put a link to the tweet in the yeah. show description. Yeah. So I broke down finding one and doing a quick and dirty five minute evaluation on it. That's perfect for this. So you can find them on you know, loopnet and crexy.com. A lot of times though, if you can find if I just talked to a guy yesterday who's in LA. And we looked on Crexy and we found one car wash that, that suited our needs for sale. My advice to him was call that broker and see if he has other ones. Because a lot of the brokers in the business don't want a listing 
on Crexy or LoopNet because it generates a bunch of work that never leads anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. There's probably in LA and every major metro, there's probably a handful of sort of normal car wash buyers. And if a broker had a listing for a car wash, he's going to go to them first. Sure. And so if you can go to these brokers, get your name known, say, I want to buy a car wash, then they're going to give you their, it's called a pocket deal. They don't really list it, but it's for sale and the guy wants to sell it. So that's a great way. You can find off-market deals that way. But most of the deals we found are just listed on normal websites like Craigslist. Go ahead. Can I, run a, can I run a process by you and you tell me if this is right or wrong? Yeah, please do. Sweet. So how, how I would think about it, like if I was looking at a market, first thing I would do is like start in my local market and I would go on Crexy and LoopNet and I would start searching for the people that are listing all the yes. car washes and all that. And then that's how I would first discover, okay, who are the actual players from the broker perspective in this game? Yep. And then I'd start paying attention to them. And then that's who I would start emailing specifically. Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Here's my buy box. Like yep. I'm ready to rock and roll. So here's a giant catch 22 that I found because literally like our community is full of a bunch of people that are doing their first commercial multifamily deals and stuff like this. So they're mm -hmm. interacting with brokers and the, the age old question comes up, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So it's yeah. like, okay, like I want to do my first commercial deal, but I don't want to seem like I'm inexperienced to the broker. But the irony is it's like you need to find, do the deal to, to yeah. get experience. Right. So it's like, how do you fake it till you make it until you're closing on the deal? But on the flip side, is you don't want to be labeled as a tire kicker. Like You need to have everything in place to communicate with these brokers to not burn the relationship and get the freaking deal done if they bring it to you. So yes. What, yes. what does somebody need in place? So they go and they identify, okay, Chris right yep. here is like the broker in my market for car washes. What do they need in place financially? acumen wise language wise before they email that first initial buy box to them instead of just hey i'm looking to buy a car wash that's yes. not going to work great question great question so if this is going to sound self-serving but frankly honestly get on my twitter and consume all of my highlights and see what i'm talking about there so that you know what you're talking about if you call a broker up and say I want a car wash. And he says, okay, this one's at an eight cap. And you say, what's an eight? What's an eight cap? What does that mean? You're done. You're never getting, you're done. He's going to probably, he's going to hang up on you. He's going to be like, this guy's never going to get a deal done. If you call a broker up and say, okay, it's an eight cap. What is, or you can say, what is the net operating? If you have these informed questions, you can ask about the management in place. You can ask about the age of the equipment. You can ask, what is the broker? What is the owner's role in the business right now? You go through, especially this thread I did today, and ask these questions. I actually give you a bunch of questions there. The broker's going to know, okay, this is not a bozo. This yeah. person knows at least a little about what they're doing, so I can take them seriously. As far as the financing, you should have an idea of, first of all, how much you could put into a deal. You're going to have to put a little bit into your deal. Mm -hmm. If you don't have anything, I would suggest that you save some money so that you can put some money into a deal, okay? And I would say the minimum would be about 50K. You can find a car wash that it won't, it, you'll need a little bit more than that probably, but you can probably find an investor to make up the gap, okay? I talked to this guy I talked to in LA yesterday is gonna do just that. He's got about 80K. He's gonna need probably another 160. 
And so what he's going to do is start to reach out to his network and start to build his social media audience and find an investor partner so that they can fill that gap. So all these things are going on concurrently, right? You're learning Chris, the lingo. Can we, can we hit? I want to hit right there because this is yes. so important that you just said that. Really want to punctuate it because you don't have a mega, mega following on Twitter yet. Yep. How much deal flow and how many investor opportunities, like how many opportunities have you gotten from your Twitter? I'm curious because what you just said is so important. Yeah. And nobody wants to do that part where they're like actually yeah. posting about the thing that they're trying to do. Yeah, they're afraid to. Or it's hard to post in the beginning, especially when you don't have a following, because you don't feel like anybody's paying attention to you. If you have, even if you have a couple hundred followers, there's no interaction on your tweets. You feel like you're just screaming into this void. But I think it's critical to, you can, first of all, you would start interacting with me on my Twitter, right? Like you can, and that's what Ahmed did from yesterday, is he started saying, oh, I really, he would ask questions, he would DM me. And then finally he said, can I just pay you for a consult? I do phone call consults as well. And so that shows that he's serious. He's willing to spend a little money to do it. He's willing to learn. And and he got active on social media. Now he's doing his thing. Like he's starting to spread the word. He's starting to talk to his people. That's how you're going to. And what I did this morning was I connected with him, with somebody in LA who's looking to invest in car washes, right? Just that ability or that, that desire to reach out and say, hey, man, can I help or can you help me? Can I help you? Can we do this quid pro quo? Uh, yeah. Whatever that word is. I can't yeah. right now. We got it. We got it. Uh, we got it. You know what I'm talking about. Um, that will help you. Yeah. So it's just, it's networking in this modern age is what this is. This is the, hey, can I buy you lunch of the modern era is interacting on social, reaching out to people and then just having conversations, really. Can I validate a framework by you real quick? Yeah, I'd love that. So I have a framework that I give to everyone, and it works for me about 99% of the time. But I love it's that. very rare that this framework doesn't work. And it's a very simple boilerplate way of going about this that if anybody listening were to do this simple framework, like you mm-hmm. would probably get a response from anybody worth yep. their salt. Because yep. Chris, I'm going to make an assumption. You hate tire kickers. <laughs> you hate yeah. People that DM you, can you teach me to buy a car wash? Or, hey, right. what about can this? I, can like, I pick you, your brain? Can I pick Everybody your brain? Everybody says, can I pick I, your brain? I will kill myself. Yes. Like, if I get yeah. one more of those. Yeah. So yeah. my framework is, hey, hey, Chris. And then lead with whatever action you're taking. I'm doing this thing. I'm running into right. specific problem one, two, or three. I yep. know that you, from reading your stuff, have solved this problem. That's the critical part. Yeah, I have read all your stuff, and yeah, and then can you help me with this specific problem? Yes, thanks. Yes, like, would you respond to that? I would absolutely. I will respond to that one hundred percent of the time, as long as you don't call me a jerk off. But <laughs> if hey, you happen to running into this problem, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hit the nail on the head because. of the questions people ask me, I've covered. It's there. It's all out there. I my my Twitter feed, if you just took an hour and went through it, you would have 90% of what you wouldn't even need my course, really. Right? You would have 90% of what you need to answer the questions that you're asking me right now. I can't tell you how many people 
DM me and say, where do you find the deals? And I'm like, dude, every, like I, I talk about this every week. It's not that mm-hmm. hard. There's just commercial listing websites. That's where they are. It's the people who say, can I pick your brain? Or can we jump on a call and have this vague, yeah. like, I, I just want to learn about you. And they think, no, I ain't got time for none of that. But yesterday's guy was like, they, exactly it. what you said. I've been reading your stuff for a year now. I'm fired up about car washes, but I'm trying to figure out how to put this specific deal together. Will you help me? Now he paid 300 bucks too. That, that'll go a long way. But yeah. if, if anybody had just emailed me a, a simple question, like how, I need to finance this deal. I've followed your stuff. I don't see you cover this. Can you just answer this question? I'll answer those questions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's worked for me at every single level of wealth. Yeah. Like I, my first guy that I reached out to was worth $100 million. And I said, Hey, my name's Brian. I've literally yeah. consumed like 40 hours of your stuff. I'm yes. doing this and this. I'm buying the houses and doing everything that you said. I'll do anything you hate doing for free. You know? Yes. And then they gave, and then they gave me a challenge. And then so I passed the challenge. Perfect. And like, here we are years later. And that was a mentor relationship. That's so perfect. I love that. So yeah. as we're closing out here, let's talk a little bit about what a good buy box would look like. Now, obviously, people can go to your Twitter to get more in-depth details. Yeah. But yeah. what is your current buy box and what can people typically expect ballpark for take home in-pocket earnings from yeah. purchasing a car wash? Yeah. So Buy box is we like self-serve car washes. So that's got the bays where you drive in and you wash your own car. And then really? usually on the end, there's one, there's an automatic, it's called an in-bay automatic. And it's usually touchless, right? It's one of these wands that rotates around your car. There's no brushes that touch your car. We love these, this market because invariably when I talk about car washes, people say, oh, they're being built everywhere. What's being built everywhere is these enormous tunnels where you right. drive up, you have a membership, and put you on a conveyor belt and it spits out a clean car on the other end, right? Those are being built for the same tax reasons that I like car washes. Those are being built by the hundreds right now. And that market is going to be saturated very soon. And and it already is in a lot of markets. But the self-serve is a market of its own. It's a completely different customer. There's almost no crossover between the tunnel people in this self-serve market. We love this market and it's only going to grow really because people are by, are driving more ATVs, UTVs. They have more trailers. They have more RVs. They have really nice cars. They can't go through a tunnel. So we love that market for people who are just starting out. We found one yesterday for this guy in LA that was, you know, 760,000. I think under a million is a nice buy box and you can find them off market. If you have one in your neighborhood that you're interested in it, go knock on the door. There might be somebody in there write a letter to the owner and say, hey, I'm interested in car washes. Don't pitch them that you want to buy their car wash right away. Just tell them, hey, I'm interested in this market. What's it like owning a car wash? Ask them dumb questions. Say, what you know? What do you do with all the quarters, right? Just play dumb in the beginning and they'll take you under the wing. I did that when I before I bought my first one. And this guy is a friend to this day. He owns three here in town. And he answers all my questions. I still have questions. And he, people are, if you're nice to them, they're going to be nice to you. So that's a great way to start out. And I forgot the second part of your question. What was the ballpark? What people can expect to get back. So for instance, it's okay. I know for a general ballpark rule of thumb, if I buy a rental property, two mm-hmm. to $400 of cash flow after all the CapEx and everything. Yes. It's pretty fair. If I get an Airbnb, I'm looking at maybe two to 3,000. So what right. are people looking at here? Yes. Because okay. uh, you so got a lot of six figure people that are listening to this. Okay. So 
in practical terms, for the two car washes we have now, my my partner and I take out about $4,000 a month just in salary. We only work about five hours a week on each property. I'm sorry, a total on the business, not on each property. So five hours a week, we take $4,000 out a month. There's another, pro- we could probably take close to $8,000 a month each out if we didn't want to improve our properties. We're putting in more money in the properties and that will, gr- in fact, grow the cash flow. I've put in, like I said, I put in 250000 last year, already earned that back because I didn't have to write that to the tax man. So everything now is gravy. It's huge gravy. I figured out on these two properties, if we didn't do anything else, in five years, my annual average ROI, if I, if you annualize the ROI, it's about 50%. Mm. And I don't know how to get... I've done residential real estate, right? I've done other stuff. It's You're lucky if you get 15, right? And there's right. times when, man, you got to work. When you turn over a a house, like you, you got to worry about the cleaning. You got to interview all the tenants. You got to get the old guy out, get, get the new gal in, right? Like it can be a full month of work sometimes. And then you're dealing with the garbage disposals and all this crap. This is in the most comps. lucrative. What's that? In comps. Yeah. So it's like your real estate is only going to go up based off of the appreciation. But I love what you're saying because then it becomes a giant game. Because yeah. you're over here, okay, awesome. Like we've done this a couple of times. Like I know what levers to pull to yeah. make one dollar become ten dollars on my balance sheet. That's fun. That's so if you look at my equity in this, not cash flow, but if you look at the equity, because we've grown the top line in the profits, I've actually got six X on my equity. What I put into this is now worth six X. It's been a year and a half, right? Like I I've never seen returns like this. So that's why I'm so bullish on this because there's a million properties out there. Let's say there's 10,000 crappy car washes out there. They Almost all of them are ripe for somebody to come in and just do this classic playbook. You put some energy into it. You put some paint up. You improve the operations. You improve the customer experience and you're, you're, you make money and you it's a great tax shelter. So it's, a, it's an awesome side gig, especially for high earning W-2 people. I'm sure you have some listeners who have a job and they look at it and they think, I can't quit my job. I have three kids. One of them's in college. One of them is in has a super expensive hobby. I can't quit. I'm making six figures here. I've got health insurance. I got a 401k. I can't quit that thing. I want to start a business. This is the perfect side gig for them because it shelters, it nukes your tax bill. It takes a few hours a week and you can keep doing it. We're going to build up this chain. We're going to have a, a statewide chain. We hope to have 20 car washes eventually. And then when you sell that's incredible. The cap rate goes from 10, the cap rate goes down to six, which means your multiplier is like 17. You bought them for 10 times, you could sell the whole thing for 17 times the earnings. Like it gets the money gets really interesting. So you're telling me that you so Chris, you're telling <laughs> me that you can hit financial freedom through just purchasing one or two car washes. Yeah. You can if you if you wanted to replace your income on these smaller car washes, you probably need three or four. If if you're making above six figures, you probably need three. Yeah. But oh my that, doesn't, God. that doesn't take very much, right? That doesn't take very much time. It's a very nice lifestyle. My So the, there's a car wash just down the road from me. It's my local car wash. I, I'm dead set on buying this thing. The owner is in Italy now. He was in Italy for the entire month of August. He 
takes care of his dad who's in Fort Lauderdale. I live in Colorado. I see him there. I don't know. He's there probably six or seven days a month. And that from what he's telling me, I haven't seen his financials yet. From what he's telling me, he's cash flowing about $250,000 a year. And he's going to sell this place. I'm probably going to buy it for $3 million. So it's, you can't, I, I, I don't know what else business you would do that, at least in real estate, right? You can do that with online businesses a little bit. You probably got something like that going on with your coaching or something. But with real estate, real assets that you can get a bank loan on. Right, you can get a bank loan on this. You can't get a bank loan for your podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, getting a bank to give you eighty percent of the purchase price—I mean, I, I don't know where else you could do it. Yeah, and the coolest thing about all of this in closing is that you create your own playbook, you create your own rules for what you, what type of business you want, what your buy box is, and then you are able to start rolling these up. And then, like you said, once you're at twenty of them, then all of a sudden you've got like a possibility of having 20 to $50 million in your bank account. That's very possible. I think that's within reach. And then that's general. Yeah. That's generational wealth, right? That's something that my kids are going to enjoy for. That's the other part of this is building something that can really grow that, that can help my kids and generations uh, after them too. So that's why I love it. I lay out the whole playbook at taxfreecashcow.com. Like I said, my Twitter's got, Almost everything you need. But if you want to get in the really nitty gritty, if you want to, if you're serious about this, go to taxfreecashcow.com, get the course. I give you all my spreadsheets, my deal analyzers. I give you the whole due diligence checklist. I walk you through the deals that we've done. And then I walk you through two example deals. I show you how to find these car washes, both unlisted and listed. Basically, everything you need to find, buy, and run your first car wash is all in that course. If you're serious about it, get it. If you don't like it, just email me. I'll give you your money back. I love it, man. And then tell us where people can follow you again. I'm I'm on Twitter as Car Wash Guy. Just search for Car Wash Guy. Got a big yellow bubble behind my head. Perfect. And then guys, go buy your car washes. Then afterwards, you can sell for 20 to $50 million and then open up your mountain bike store in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what I'm hoping to do is I hope a bunch of your listeners go and buy car washes and then I'll buy their car washes and we'll create this nationwide chain. Bingo. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Thanks, man. This has been awesome. And this has been Chris and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it, so I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.